You're listening to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and from BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Welcome to the show. Today on the show, a tale of two cities. I'm joined by a developer in Vancouver who says he's seeing foreign capital leave local real estate. We're also joined by a developer in Seattle who comes on to talk about the increase in foreign capital just south of the border. This week on November 6th, we host BIV Talks post-election, brought to you by the Downtown Vancouver Business Improvement Association. Our panel of experts will examine the implications of the federal election, what they mean for business, and what the results mean for British Columbia. Visit BIV.com slash events for more information. You can also join us next week on November 13th as we celebrate BC's top leadership with our annual BC CEO Awards. Six distinguished CEOs will be honored at an awards gala where each recipient will share their lessons from a lifetime in leadership. For more information, check out BIV.com slash BC CEO awards. And coming up November 22nd, we present the BC Export Awards, which pays tribute to the successes of BC export companies. Finalists across nine different categories and industries will be recognized and winners selected. For more information, visit BIV.com events, where you can go for all of our event information. I have two guests on the line with me now. Jason Turcott is the Vice President of Development at Cressy Development Group and, of course, a regular on the program. He joins me on the line in Vancouver. Jason, as always, good to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Also joining us on the line, Dean Jones, Principal and Owner of Real Logic Sotheby's International Realty, based in Seattle. Dean, welcome to the program. Thanks for taking the time to come on. Good morning. Look forward to it. So as I mentioned in my earlier introduction, we're going to be talking about foreign capital in real estate. Jason, I want to start with you because this is something we've spoken about before on the show. And as we both know, it can be a very controversial topic. But you're here to talk a little bit today about this trend where you're seeing foreign capital actually leave Greater Vancouver. I'm hoping you can tell me a little bit about what's changing now and how that differs from what we have seen in the past. Yeah, I think we can look at it sort of through two lenses. One would be um, capital, foreign capital that was coming here, um, so it would have been foreign to to Canada and British Columbia, uh, that that I think we're seeing uh, rediverted. But uh, you know, sort of a more interesting trend I think happening a little more on in the grassroots level, which is um, local companies, uh, companies based here in in Vancouver or British Columbia, uh, and certainly across Canada. Uh, I think at, a, at an increasing rate, uh, opting to um, invest money uh, south of the border, and um, you know, with that, uh, uh, you know, the changes that have happened here in our province uh, economically, the real estate market, policy issues. I think it's it's happening at an increasing rate, and we're seeing developers here uh, seek out opportunities in places like Washington State, California, certainly, and uh, and across the U.S. And what does that mean for a local developer like Cressy when you approach projects? What are some of the impacts you've experienced? Well, obviously, there's a lot to go into the, to, to a decision to, to go invest in any new market, particularly one in a different country. Um, but, but I think it's indicative of what, what, what has been happening here, which is really, I think, a discouragement of, of, um, of business. You know, I mean, I think we've seen so many... Uh, um, um, Tax, tax measures, policy measures, what have you, that, that have really made it more and more uh, difficult to do business here in British Columbia and in Vancouver. 
And uh, so, um, you know, capital is fluid and, and, and it's now looking for a home to, uh, to, to grow itself uh, that where perhaps it's more welcome and, and uh, where the climate towards business and, and you know, the one's uh, desire to prosper and find uh, successes as more uh, openly welcome. And I think it's, it's, a, it's indicative of a, of a cultural difference between where we've sort of ended up here in, in Vancouver specifically and um, and uh, contrast that to some of the more, um, I'll call it business-friendly climates in major U.S. markets. Mm. Yeah, Dean, I think our listeners would be very familiar with typically what's happened in the real estate market here in Greater Vancouver. Give us a bit of a lay of the land of what the market's been like over the last couple of years in Seattle. Well, we've seen uh, we've seen investors and developers uh, bounce out of BC's you know uh, foreign buyer tax policies, uh, as well as just chasing the yield and the opportunity that's now present in Seattle. Um, if you don't know, I'm actually a, a Canadian myself. I've been down in the Seattle area for about 25 years, and um, you know it, it had been a bit of a flyover city. A lot of the Canadian Vancouver-based developers were preferring other uh, markets such as. Uh, San Francisco and San Diego, um, but in recent years, uh, there's really a bounty of Canadian developers uh, and those from international markets, most notably China, Taiwan, um, that are also taking significant um, uh, steps forward, both in land acquisition and entitlements to build through um, increasingly condominiums as well as uh, apartments in our market here. Uh, and I think that's for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, as mentioned, you know, the the foreign buyer home tax. Uh, 20% now in the in, in the Vancouver market has obviously made it more expensive. Where well, we don't have any such taxes here in uh, the city of Seattle or the city of Bellevue. In fact, we have constitutional barriers to imposing sort of knee-jerk tax policies, um, and that's the same kind of concern I think that global wealth has. And one of the reasons there's capital flight out of markets overseas is because there's real and present concern about you know what is my uh, my family. Um, wealth profile, where should I be diversified, um, and what markets do I think offer sort of a, a blue chip real estate investment opportunity. And I would say in the last five years specifically, Seattle has uh, really come center stage uh, as probably the, the fastest growing large city in the U.S., but I think increasingly a new West Coast gateway, uh, especially to Asia, uh, you know, competing directly with San Francisco and, and, and Vancouver, uh, which are really harbingers of, of where we're going. Mm-hmm. To anyone sort of directly outside of the real estate industry, would what's happening in Seattle be noticeable to the average citizen there, like what happened in Greater Vancouver was very well noticed by average citizens? For sure. Uh, almost can't be avoided. I mean, as I mentioned, we've got, um, you know, the fastest growing large city in the U.S. Uh, we've got incredible employment growth, um, about 800 to 1,000 people a week or moving into the metro area, depending on what, you know, um, what month you're talking. Um, but, you know, we've added, boy, about 27,000 housing units to downtown Seattle that I could walk to from my office this decade. Um, remarkably, 93% of that was built for rent and not for sale. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of institutional investment, um, you know, that's chasing the long-term, you know, um, business model here in, in the Seattle area. Um, so it's really an urbanization trend. Um, and if you're not familiar, actually, our, our city planners modeled uh, both our tall and slender zoning, which is relatively new as of 2006, as well as the tower spacing right after uh, Vancouver's skyline. So they really took a lot of inspiration uh, for 
um, you know, the way our city is shaping up uh, from our sister city in Vancouver. Jason, we've spoken quite a bit before about some of the supply challenges we face in this region and specifically bringing about additional supply. Are we missing out on an opportunity here if foreign investors aren't as attracted to our area to help meet some of our supply challenges? Well, yeah, I think that's that's the that's the risk when you start seeing capital leaving. I mean, there's there's, there's two things that jump out at you as, as a, bit, a bit of a scary concern. One is uh, on the housing front. Um, you know, if, if we're deploying capital as an organization into a market like Seattle um, or any any other market outside of uh, outside of Vancouver, it probably means that we're not building here or at least building mm-hmm. as much here as what we could be. And we certainly don't want that. I mean, that is that's a bad thing. I mean, not not speaking for our organization, but as a as a city. Uh, where people's attentions diverted otherwhere, uh, you know, to, to other locations, and their and their their dollars are following those opportunities. We could we could see that it has an impact on supply here for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the job side of it, right, Haley? I mean, we're talking about um, uh, organizations that are, that are based here, that that hire people here, that are they're building big projects here and employing hundreds and hundreds of people. If they're taking that capital and building that project in Seattle or in San Francisco or what have you. Those jobs are going there, and they're not happening here, and and that is a a very macroeconomic impact, as you know. When we start seeing uh, the projects aren't happening and that jobs aren't being filled, mm-hmm. um, um, that has a real major impact on the economy and on on uh, um, you know people spending and all the rest of it. You know, unemployment starting to you know as it starts to, to creep up, and we're not there yet, but it it is sort of the early days of a sign of something to watch out for for sure. Mm-hmm. Setting aside foreign capital for a second, even this idea of rapid growth has come up against local resistance in Vancouver and parts of greater Vancouver. People don't necessarily like the fact that there's a lot of growth. They don't want to see big towers in their backyard. Dean, has there been a movement or culture of nimbyism at all in Seattle or has the region oh, there been kind of, a, yeah, you've seen it as well. Absolutely. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah. I mean, you know, really the only substantial rezoning that we've managed to get done um, is within our existing high-rise zoning. That would be the one center city plan I mentioned in 2006 under um, Mayor Paul Schell's uh, administration. Um, They found it very difficult to rezone any single-family neighborhoods. Um, You know, certainly there's been flirtation with that. I think, uh, you know, I defer to this panel on on, uh, your expertise in Vancouver, but every time I I come home to Vancouver, it seems like another one of the arterials have been uh, rezoned for multifamily, almost uh, providing, you know, uh, high-density rings around the single-family neighborhoods. I mean, that ultimately needs to happen here. Um, Something like 75% of the city of Seattle is zoned single-family, and it's received only 5% of the population growth and density, whereas the balance, of course, is in the urban centers. So our, our taller buildings are, are getting even taller in exchange for an affordable housing benefit, which is the other uh, initiative that the city called HALA, uh, which is the Housing Affordability and Livability Agenda, um, trying to trade the one commodity we have left, which is height, um, in exchange for some public benefit. Um, because I think you know the city planners know it's going to be a, a very difficult challenge to go into uh, our surrounding neighborhoods and try and get up zoning. Uh, the other thing that we're doing um, that I think will have a benefit long term is we finally, a couple of years back, got what's called Sound Transit 3 approved. Think of this as uh, the SkyTrain uh, for Seattle. 
uh, although you did great city planning in 86 for your rapid transit. And of course, you know, everywhere there's a light rail station, you've got a cluster of high density. Uh, we did it backwards here in Seattle. You know, this is because we've had very provincial thinking with these global, you know, growth prospects. And so we're putting in the rapid transit after all the density. Um, but what they are doing is um, likely to rezone along the east side corridor. And also uh, there is some multifamily zoning already uh, down south Seattle and up north uh, that will be uh, linked by Sound Transit 3. So over the next 10 years, as it's fully deployed, um, we will be able to commute on light rail from higher density locations, but but still nothing to the extent of, you know, what was, I think, planned much better up in Vancouver and throughout the lower mainland where you've got, you know, these boombergs that have become high-rise cities um, that are all connected, you know, by light rail. Mm-hmm. I want to pick up on something you said, which is the one commodity Seattle has left is height. Jason, in Vancouver, greater Vancouver, what would you say are our commodities? Where are some of the opportunities for local or foreign capital in this market? Well, I think there's lots. I think, you know, the, the point about uh, the, the differences between the two cities around transit was is, is spot on. I mean, it really has been what has allowed us to be such an urban, um, you know, a, a density-driven um urban area and that's not just vancouver proper that's burnaby that's that's uh surrey city center richmond all of it where we have these really quite high density nodes that have built along these these rails and that will continue to be our opportunity and and, uh certainly we're seeing that government's been pretty committed to continuing to invest in rapid transit you know we've got the the broadway corridor uh extension happening um, you know, as far as land use planning around that yet, yeah, still pretty up in the air, but there's going to be, uh, you know, opportunities there. Uh, and then, of course, the extension of, uh, of SkyTrain in, uh, in Surrey out to, to Langley. Um, I think that also will open up a whole bunch of opportunity for, for new multifamily neighborhoods. Um, height, of, of course, uh, in the city of Vancouver, pretty contentious issue, but we're seeing elsewhere, like in Burnaby, we, you know, I just saw last week, there's a proposal for an 80-story uh, 380 story towers. So certainly wow. in some areas, uh, no hesitation to height. Um, but in Vancouver proper, as you know, very, very uh, contentious issue. Um, you know, we don't, we don't typically get uh, too, too much over 600 feet here. Mm. You know, it's interesting when you compare the cities and where we're going to go with all the people. Um, yeah, we're way behind in transportation, but that $55 billion transportation package I mentioned will help. The problem is, is people are still trying to commute to affordability and, you know, demand will rise quicker than supply when it comes to high density. So we are, you know, seeing upward pressure on pricing, which is creating even more nimbyism, you know, not quite understanding that our cure is, is going to be more supply, not less. Um, yeah. And, you know, we're dealing with construction cost, you know, spikes as well that are like six to 10% a year um, because there's so much activity going on and it's not just residential, it's, you know, you know, very large civic projects like the convention center or $2 billion waterfront. You know, we recently completed Seattle's big dig, if you will, which was a two mile under the city tunnel that links highway 99 on both sides of the North South of the city, you know, so all that activity coupled with construction disruption is made, you know, for um, kind of a blistering pace of development um, and, you know, we are finding it very difficult to build uh, more attainably priced homes. Uh, I will say that we also followed the ADU, so the accessory dwelling unit, which I think uh, has been in place for a while in Vancouver, uh, is now in place also here in uh, the city of Seattle. 
So as long as your lot is a 5,000 square feet or larger and there's certain setback requirements that have been relaxed more recently, but you're allowed to now build a uh, accessory unit uh, and actually rent it out as well. And there is hope um, that that's going to, you know, provide uh, more affordable housing uh, for, you know, living in the city, but not necessarily in a multifamily capacity. It's actually, you know, uh, jumping on the backs of our uh, large single family lots and trying to build infill within those lots. Has foreign speculation, foreign capital, foreign investment been blamed for some of the affordability challenges in Seattle, like similar to what happened in Greater Vancouver, where those issues took the brunt, I think, of the blame for our affordability challenges? Uh, You know, I think we recognize now that we're a global city and at least a quarter uh, or more of some of these substantial projects are being uh, consumed by uh, overseas investors, and uh, whether they're you know through Vancouver or direct from China or otherwise, um, it it varies depending on the projects and of course its product type and price point. But mm-hmm. I think it would be irresponsible to suggest that it hasn't found its way into the Seattle Bellevue metro area. Um, and I will also credit um, international demand for helping to pencil these projects because you know investors are usually first responders, and um, you know I think. I think we look like a bargain compared to the other West Coast gateways. If you consider our median housing prices um, and you look at the ratio to median household incomes, um, we've got a long runway to catch up to San Francisco or to Vancouver. And, um, you know, some of the most savvy investors are those that have been playing this game up and down the West Coast or in China itself. So, um, but we do have limitations on how many investors will accept for financing purposes. Um, and, you know, because these projects are being penciled and going forward, and then you can turn around and rent them out because, again, we don't have rent controls here in Vancouver, another beneficial legislative, you know, um, uh, consideration um, because, you know, there's rent controls pretty much everywhere else on the West Coast now throughout the state of California, recently adopted in Portland. And, of course, you know your story up in Vancouver. Um, so this this is in some ways got the best, you know, uh, ingredients of saying, look, we've got, you know, pre-sale activity happening. We've got no headwinds to foreign capital. International ownership is possible. You can have no problem renting out your home. Uh, and it seems to be a rising tide. So, um, you know, put all that together and it makes it very attractive. If it didn't happen, then this could be what you might be facing in Vancouver also, which is less new development, which means less supply for your apartment cycle. Um, and potentially higher prices, because uh, as I understand it, you know, in Vancouver, there's really not any purpose-built apartments. For the most part, everything is individually owned and then leased out. So if there's a pullback in investment, that means there's going to be less supply, and you could start to see, you know, um, more acceleration in your rentals. Yeah, it's probably one of the the, the most notable differences, I think, you know, from from, from my perspective, Haley, and on the development side. Um, you know, are the timeframes and sort of the the openness and willingness of the of the city to to get you approved and get you into the ground. Um, mm-hmm. Particularly when you're talking about apartment units here, we we go through these long protracted uh, rezonings that take years mm-hmm. um, for 150 units of rental. Um, our projects in Seattle, generally speaking, we can be application to shovel in the ground um, as as little as six months. Um, you know, typically it's, it's within 12. Um, it's, it's much, much faster to get, uh, through the process in Seattle. And Seattle's also had a very, uh, ambitious incentive program for, um, uh, rental affordable 
affordability where if you if you provide certain affordability metrics within your rental building they have a, a 10-year property tax waiver which really really helps get the project working financially and built and uh, what we've seen in seattle and it was uh, uh dean mentioned it earlier um the number of units built versus what we've had built here particularly when you're talking about um, purpose-built rentals is you know it's, it's staggering the difference uh and how much more is getting built in seattle and and as a result we've actually seen vacancy rates in seattle climb steadily to a much more healthy number i don't know where it stands right now do maybe you do but certainly it's it's at a point where the upward pressure on rents has eased as a result of the supply um whereas here our, our rental vacancy hovering somewhere between you know zero and one percent has meant that we have continued to have that upward pressure on rents uh, unwaveringly yeah we're probably four or five percent uh it changes um often because as we deliver you know three four hundred unit apartment tower and you know literally they're being delivered like every other month um you know it, it changes the the supply and demand pretty significantly and you can see six to eight months or six to eight weeks of rent concession just to get the buildings leased up but they do stabilize very quickly and uh you know our rents are probably similar to yours in vancouver i'm just looking at some uh deal points here um you know we're probably in the high threes to mid fours dollars per square foot for rent um there has been some brief retraction i would say in the last mm, uh, 18 months, um, but it's on its way back up again um, because there's just still a bounty of people moving in. And, you know, a large portion of our demographics that are moving in are going to be these young tech workers and, you know, they want to remain nimble and they prefer to rent. They may not be here for long. They may bounce back to the Bay Area or Chicago or change jobs. And it's, you know, it's only going to be three or four years before they really settle down and they, you know, get their restricted stock units and become a more savvy consumer and wanting to buy uh, instead of rent. Um, so I would say that our condominium development's actually been under delivering um, for this current cycle. And uh, I will tell you that the Vancouver developers are uh, by far the largest um, provider of new supply for sale uh, here in the Seattle Bellevue metro area at this point. That's very interesting. Uh, Dean, Jason, thank you both so much for coming on the program. Really appreciate your insights. My pleasure. Sounds great. Yeah, happy to contribute. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. Joining us on the line from Seattle, Dean Jones, principal and owner of Real Logic Sotheby's International Realty. And on the line in Vancouver, Jason Turcott, vice president of development at Cressy Development Group. That's it for our show. Thanks for listening to BIV today. You can get notified of new episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes and Stitcher. All of our episodes are also available at BIV.com audio. I'm Haley Wooden. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. <laughs>